All right, everybody, I am here today with Jerron Rice, and uh, Jerron has been on our podcast. I think this is the third time, right? I think so, right, Jerron? Yes, third time's a charm. I was just going to say <laughs> that. <That's right. laughs> so I'll, I'll give the really quick recap. So the first time we talked about House Bill 777 in Maryland, which was a bill. Uh, well, Jerron, give us the 30-second soundbite. What, what was that bill about that's, that's had a big impact on your business? Yeah, so the, the bill was designed to protect uh, small businesses from the contract terms that would dramatically affect their ability to switch processing. So sure. cancellation fees, liquidated damages, that sort of thing. Um, it, it was a disclosure bill that made it so that you had to disclose the length of the contract, the con- the cancellation fee, liquidated damages, all of that on the actual agreement that they sign in 12-point bold font, um, and it capped the total amount of fees at $500. And that was for businesses that have 50 or less employees and are doing less than $2 million a year uh, in, in credit card processing. Sure. And, and that was a Maryland law. But of course, you know, most of these processors operate nationally. And so whenever something like that happens, it has a really uh, important trickle down effect because, you know, if you want one contract that your agents can use in all 50 states, well, you, you have to make sure it works in Maryland, which, you know, is going to come under this law. And so uh, I know, Jerome, you've gotten a lot of um, uh, press from that. I know you've gotten a lot of referrals from that. Um, so then that kind of led us into an interview we did several months back about building a local brand right. with your, your Magathy payments. Um, and the things that you've done there to build basically a referral-based business and, and a model that, you know, frankly, I'm very bullish on. I did it myself in my market, and I think it's, uh, it's you know, it's the right way to go. Um, so then to bring us to today, Jerome uh, emailed me, and he and I were talking back and forth about this idea that he's really gone in, I, I guess, you know, focused on card not present is the big focus for 2020 for your business. So, you know, what I want to do to just kind of start off with drone is, is walk us through that a little bit. I mean, this is a big shift because I know you, you know, you have a lot of physical location clients and things like that, but now in, in 2020, you're going to focus all of your attention on card not present. So what brought you to that decision? What was kind of the main factors that got you there? And if I can just ask, if you don't mind, I mean, yeah. is, it, is it card not present to the exclusion of everything else, or is that just your major focus? It's, it's going to be the major focus. Uh, we're still going to do card present for the automotive space. We've got a really good platform for that. Uh-huh. And it's going to put us in a position where we can kind of be a little bit more selective about the card present, where we can look at it and say, does this fit what we're looking to accomplish? If yes, then then we'll take it on on our terms. If not, we'll, we'll, we'll just kind of, kind of let it go. Okay. Um, but so it, it's funny because we we worked really hard to build a local brand and you know starting out it's always the shotgun approach where you spray and pray and you want to be everything to everybody right um and then over time as it grew i found myself gravitating towards the home improvement home services sale Uh um so, you know, I mentioned before that I was a mortgage banker for five years, but I also had five years experience of in-home sales for the home improvement industry. Hmm. And so I had a lot of contacts there. I had a lot of experience. I understood their, their pain points. And then when I started bringing on a couple as clients, I started to recognize that the, depending on who your provider is and who your rep is, and what their knowledge and expertise is, processing in that space can be frustrating, right? Because you're dealing with a card not present transaction most of the time. You're mm-hmm. dealing with larger tickets. Right. You know, it, the, the, the average roofer around here is selling $12,000 roofing jobs where they're taking a $4,000 deposit and $8,000 final balance. Like if, if your account is not set up properly, you know, that, that can be a headache when you're dealing with, with funding delays. And so, sure. um, you know, being in payment processing, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. And when I started running sort of the, the analytics of, of our portfolio, you know, the, the old 80-20 rule, mm-hmm. um, ours is, is kind of that in reverse. And so when I looked at it, 21% of our clients, 
account for 70% of our revenue. Wow. And when I started digging into the commonalities of those 21%, 76% of those clients are in a card not present environment. Wow. Wow. And wow. so when, when, when I started looking at the numbers further, that's where it all started to make sense. You know, the, the retail businesses, um, the restaurant businesses, they, they, they're good and they fit a need. Um, but those are the areas where the margins are the most squeezed. Those are the right. areas where there's the most competition. Um, and those are the areas that when something goes sideways, which it always is going to go sideways, those are the ones where it's always an emergency. Right. You know what I mean? And so it, it's a, it's a catch 22 in that, when you're local and you have a physical office and a physical presence in a community that builds a lot of confidence, which is great for the sale process, but then it also puts high expectations. an expectation of service on you mm-hmm. that they wouldn't hold to other companies. So right. there are times where, you know, they would say, Oh, we got a quote from this company and this company and this company. If you match it, we'll go with you. And you're all excited to get the business. So you match it. And then you realize that those out of state companies, you know, they wouldn't be on site servicing a problem, right. you know, right. uh, the way that you are. And so you end up losing money in the servicing of the accounts because you're trying to compete in the, in the, in, you know, get in the mud with the, with the price. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those things that when I saw the numbers and I had the concrete analytics to, to prove my gut feeling, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go in a different direction. Sure. Sure. So, so I want to I want to zoom out for a second. We're going to obviously dig into this, uh, you know, the card not present stuff. But there's a couple things that you said that just really stuck out to me that are I think very important general concepts. So, the first thing you said was, you know, the shotgun approach when you get started, which I totally agree with. You know, you just got to make some sales and make some money, pay the bills. Right. But from that, you know, you should start to get uh, an idea for where your specialty is. And I've talked a lot of times on this podcast about, for me, it was quick service restaurant, uh, multiple location. Right. Right. And so that didn't mean that's the only thing I sold, but it's the only thing I tried to sell. It was the thing that you were, mo- <laughs> were most interested in selling. Right. Yeah. And so I'm still going to get referrals just like you are, Drone. You know, but I get referrals. But like when I'm like, OK, I'm going to spend five hours prospecting today. I'm going to go after multiple location, quick service, because for me, it really resonated with me. It, it worked good for me to to do that. And so, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, Drone, but I think what I hear you saying is, you know, going into 2020, the people who are listening to this podcast that are individual agents, small ISOs, it might be time for them to take a strategic look at their portfolio and at their skill set and where they're having success and maybe start to, to focus in on a vertical or a solution or something like that. Is, is that kind of what you're saying? Absolutely. So I, I had this I had this gut feeling a couple of years ago when when we started using the uh, the NMI platform that our white labeled gateway solution um, and you know got such a positive response from the from the clients. And then last year I read a book called The Pumpkin Plan uh, by sure. Mike Mikowitz, mm-hmm. and it really confirmed a lot of what I was thinking. And so. The idea is I don't I don't want to be everything to everybody. Like I want to stay in my lane, mm-hmm. and I want to be the the best card not present high dollar transaction company in our area, yep. right? And so it, it it it's it's scary to want to limit yourself in that way, but when the numbers bear it out, right. You know, it's like I could literally like right now I could sell off 79% of my portfolio and only lose 30% of my revenue. Like that's, that's nuts to think about. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, this is where, this is where the value proposition is. These are, so some of the other commonalities that I recognize within that space, if we're, if we're talking specifically about like the, the home improvement contract or the roofers, mm-hmm. some of the, the commonalities that I, rec- that I recognized amongst them is they are the guys that have been processing credit cards for a while, mm-hmm. right? So they, they've experienced the pain points. 
Right. One of the things I notice is if 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 he's a home improvement contractor who's only exclusively operated with checks, I don't want to be the first payment processor that he uses because that's a new fee to him. That's a new experience that he hasn't dealt with before mm-hmm. and he doesn't really recognize how bad it could be. Yeah. You know sure. what I mean? And so sure. it, it's the our attrition with 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 contractors who are new to accepting payments was way higher. Whereas if he's been accepting payments for two or three years with his bank, he has been dragged through the mud. Right. And so for us with interchange plus pricing, you know, and minimal funding delays and things like that, we, we look like a a shining light to him. Right. You know what I mean? Um, And so just kind of focusing on once you recognize like, where the target is like you can continue to hone that and figure out you know what are the additional common out so they were they were contractors that had been processing credit cards for a while a lot of them were were with their bank um and in most cases the contractor the owner of the company themselves was not the person who was actually running the transaction and that made a huge difference because as a value add, we offer training at no additional cost. So my pitch was, we're going to take the ball, we're going to get everything up and running, and then I'm going to come in here and meet with all of your staff that runs transactions, create individual usernames for them, set the permissions, and then walk them through so that they're comfortable. And then for your controller, I'm going to show them how to use the QuickBooks integration to reconcile all of these open invoices. So sure. you're saving the time on the backside. And at that point, it becomes the, the value pitch where I'm selling these, you know, home improvement companies that are doing two or $300,000 a month. And I'm marking them at 50 basis points. Right. And they're still got an effective rate under 2.75. And it's like, I'm making great margin on it. Right. And these are the companies that, that are never leaving because they're not cash flow poor. They, they enjoy the savings, but ultimately for them, it's more about I'm making their lives easier right. and streamlining the process. Sure. And I don't have to sell solely on, on price. So that also goes to the, the notion that, you know, not everybody is that good at, at card not present in terms of, right. of processors. And so, you know, I mean, that's what seems to me what you're speaking to. Jaron, is that you know you have a real opportunity here to go in and 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 you know as you're honing your perfection, you know as you're perfecting your approach, you know that brings even more people in because there are so many people that are out there and dissatisfied with this. Is that right? Absolutely, and that's one of the things. So we've we've been with Elevon from the beginning, right? And one of the things that I really, really like about them is their, their approach to the, the underwriting. Um, it, it is, it is heavily credit based, um, mm-hmm. which for some businesses can be sort of a, a detriment. Right. Um, but in the, in the home improvement space, because there are a lot of chargebacks, it's one of those things that you, if, if you've got, if I've got a, uh, a contractor who's owned his business for six or seven years and they're, they're doing, you know, a million, $2 million in total business a year. And he's got 800 scores. I can easily get him approved for an account with a high ticket of 15, $20,000 mm-hmm. so that he's not dealing with funding delays. And a lot of, and I've found in my experience, a lot of our competitors are coming in, pitching them on a low rate, and then putting their high ticket at like $2,000 just to get the account approved. Yep. Mm. And then once it's approved, this guy runs a $10,000 transaction and he's in funding delay hell right. because right. he can't get his money. His ref's not answering the phone and the process of trying to get all that done is, is difficult. And so we're extremely hands-on and proactive from the beginning to let them know this is what you can expect. If there is a funding delay, we'll, we will get a notification, and typically what they're going to ask for in additional documentation is, I need the signed agreement. So make sure when you are collecting these signed agreements that you have them readily available and documented so that mm-hmm. when, when my office manager emails you, hey, we need the, the agreement for the Johnson file, your people can send it back to us so 
that delay. Instead of you ran the transaction yesterday, it's delayed today, but we've submitted the information so you get the funds tomorrow. Right. It's cutting down that time of a week and change for a funding delay because we know what our processor is going to ask for when you go th- when you have that that funding delay. Sure. And sure. I communicate this through the discovery process. And again, because they've been accepting credit cards for a while, my ideal client, I'm hit, I'm putting bomb on those pain points preemptively. Mm. You know what I mean? And and I'm separating myself from sure. everybody else sure, right, sure. right from the jump. You know, one of the other interesting things about this uh, shift that you've made is, you know, it, it really brings up a couple of interesting points in my mind that I think a lot of people in our industry have, have kind of drifted away from and don't have an understanding of. And that is, you know, number one, you have to have, whether if you're an individual, the self-awareness or if you're a, you know, a company, you have to have, you know, your brand awareness of, you know, your company awareness of, you know, what are we really good at? Mm-hmm. And then which merchants are going to value what we are really good at? Right. So like if you, you know, for you guys, Magathy Payments is a local company with a physical location that's that has a lot of expertise in payments. Well, really, let's face it. I mean, most mom and pop shops today consider payment processing somewhere on the scale of of electricity. (laughs) You know, it's a utility to them. And the other thing is, too, there's not there's not very much risk in them switching. So, you know, you get somebody you provide great service, but if they don't really care as much about that, and then somebody comes in offering them a better deal, well, they might switch because they actually don't care that much about what you're providing, and there's not a huge risk of them switching providers. But when you're talking about high t- high average ticket size card not present, well, I would imagine, and I don't have a ton of experience in that vertical, but the, the accounts I, I have sold, you know, it's a pretty big deal to them to switch because of the, the issues you just mentioned. You know, if they save $50 a month, but they get a $20,000 hold, well, <laughs> that yeah. 50 bucks a month all of a sudden doesn't matter very much, right? So, um, so I would imagine it's a little bit tougher. So for them, they probably really value, yeah, we're, we're a physical location. We're right here in the area. We are experts at this. Am I, am I right there, Jerome, that, like, that you're kind of looking at it like this is a group of merchants that probably more heavily values the unique things that you do? Absolutely. 110%. And, and that's, it's funny that you, that you mentioned that because I have been in meetings, discussions with prospective clients where I know that they're dealing with these pain points. And I said, have you ever been so frustrated with your payment processor that you would choke them if you know where they were? <laughs> I'm right there on Benfield. You drive past, you know, just yeah. and, and say that jokingly. Right. Sure. Like, yeah. If it came down to it, you know where I am. Right. That that's a huge seller. Yep. In our space, because there there are so many in in our in my county alone, there there are 500 businesses that are home improvement contractors or home services companies. Sure, that wouldn't surprise just, me. Right. Just in my county alone. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like I there's a there's a good size though, market. Go ahead. No, I said so. There's a good size market. Yeah, and and, and so it. And the nature of what I do, we can expand it. Like with, with our gateway platform, we can monitor things remotely. So once we, I feel like we've oversaturated this particular market, we can expand and, and right. go into the surrounding counties without ever having to leave the state. Because, I mean, for a business that's two counties over, right. we're still local. Right, right. right. Oh, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, okay, it, it, you might be 20, 30 minutes away, but I still right. know where you you're, you're are. You're a Maryland. Show up at your office. You're a Maryland business. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, and as absolutely. I as I tell people, being a Marylander myself, it is a small state, but it's a it's an impactful state. Right. <laughs> you know, right. There's absolutely. A, there's a lot of business in Maryland that people you know don't even realize. So yeah. So yeah, so so let's do this. So I, I want to. I'm going to move on now. We're going to we're going to do a card not present and get a little more detail. But I, I think the big picture here that I really and one of the main reasons I want to do this interview is because you know not to tell everybody, hey everybody, you should all sell card not present in 2020. No, no. the idea is. You've got to figure out what is your unique value proposition. Maybe you don't have a building uh, like Magathy Payments with a big sign up and a big online presence. You know, uh, maybe you're local and maybe your your background is in technology, and so maybe you understand the Clover point of sale system inside and out. You can make it do anything. You know, okay, cool. So, which businesses are going to most value your expertise in Clover or whatever? So, the key is, you know. 
look at your strengths and your weaknesses. What is that thing that you do that's unique? And then how to, you know, find those merchants that are going to value that. So now that we've got that piece of it, let's dive in a little bit more to card not present. So we've talked about home improvement drone. Give us some other ones. What, what are these? Is that it? Or is there other business types? Give us some idea of the business types that you're really going after with this program. Yeah. So it's funny because it started with the home improvement, home services, and then I started to expand and look at, you know, like in Maryland, we have the Maryland Home Improvement Commission um, that regulates all the licensed contractors. And I'm like, okay, so outside of just general contractors and roofers, what other types of businesses, you know, need to have an MHIC license? I was like, okay, so that would include painters and that would include waterproofing companies and, you know, companies like that. And then I started looking at what are the types of businesses that service those businesses. So we, we have like a half a dozen um, roll off dumpster rental companies, right? Ah, and it, it's okay. a complete sure. niche vertical, but because we offer chargeback assistance as, as part of our service. So if our, if we have a client that has a chargeback, we get the chargeback advice directly from the processor, read through it, figure out what the cardholder is claiming. We get the documentation from the client, get their version of what happened, and then we craft the response letters Mm. to combat that. And so whenever there was an instance where outside of actual card fraud where it was a stolen card, and, and that has happened a couple of times, we've never lost a chargeback for our client. And so one of the things that I realized early on is that dumpster rental companies have a lot of chargebacks. And the reason that they have a lot of chargebacks is as part of their agreement, if somebody drops off a, you know, a six yard dumpster and it's going to be $300, the agreement that they sign says you are allowed to fill this with three tons of junk and for each additional ton, we're going to charge you $75. Right. Well, the average homeowner has no idea what three tons of junk is. So <laughs> sure. when they're cleaning out their basement and they load it up with six tons of junk, <laughs> and then that $300 transaction that they were expecting is now a two hundred or a $525 transaction, then they end up issuing chargebacks. And so that's one of those things where we go in, we, we show them the original agreement and craft this and, and submit it so that our client gets their money back. And then when we have those experiences, like it makes it much easier to market to other businesses sure. in that space. We can just draw up a, a, you know, we can call the Anne Arundel County Economic Development Corporation. They'll provide us lists of businesses for free because we're in county and, and our tax dollars pay for it. So I can email them and say, hey, I, I want a list of all of the dumpster rental companies in the county. And they'll send back a list that's got you know, 27 dumpster rental companies on it and who the owner is and what their contact information is. And we'll do a, 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 a mailer or an email campaign, you know, that says, Hey, are you having issues with chargebacks? Here's how we can help. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And it's a different approach because every single payment processor that reaches out to them is like, Hey, I can save you money. Right. Right. But that's not, but their we're saying, point. Hey, are you having an issue with chargebacks? Right, right. Right. Now go go back for one second. I, I missed when you said where you're getting that list from. What what was that again that you're getting it from? So in our county I'm in Anne Arundel County. Okay. There there is a, a quasi government it's a it's a non profit, but it's funded by the government called the Anne Arundel County Economic Development Corporation. Huh. A lot okay. of states and counties will of, have right economic development organizations like this that that serve in a similar capacity Hmm. one of the services that they provide is if you live in in county or you operate a business in county you can get targeted business lists from them Hmm. at no cost right it's funded by our tax dollars so we have contacts over there, and I can I can tell them specific businesses that I'm looking for with sp- specific parameters where I can say, you know, I'm looking for home improvement contractors who have been in business more than three years and have a gross annual revenue more than a million dollars. Right. And they will send me a spreadsheet with all of that data hmm. gathered, and then we can create specific marketing campaigns targeting the exact people that we that we want. 
Yeah, and I think that a lot of these economic development, a lot of states have them, James. I okay. know in Maryland, they're it's pretty it's pretty widespread. I okay. know in New York, it's pretty widespread. Okay, but that that's something I hadn't thought about. I think there's a really excellent tip, Jerome. Yeah, it's a great idea. I never I never messed with it at all. So yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize they gave you that much detail, but that's awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, so th- it's interesting because you kind of led right into my next question, which was about marketing. So. I know that with your, you know, Magathy Payments 2019, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it was pretty heavily referral based. Um, now you're starting kind of this, not a new niche for you, but, you know, it's an expansion and a focus on a niche. So you just mentioned email campaigns and stuff. Talk to us about that shift. I, I'm guessing that, you know, you are doing a lot more outbound marketing. So you mentioned email marketing. What else are you doing to target these people and to, and to generate leads for your company? So we're we're kind of using the the email and the mailers as as a supplement, um, but the the bread and butter has been and always will be the the referrals and the networking. And so one of the things that that we've started doing is looking at um, different networking events that cater more towards our ideal clients. And so um, we, I recently connected with a company that is a high-end um, cedar and millwork company that does supplying for high-end remodelers. Mm-hmm. And so I became friends with this guy and we started referring business back and forth. I've got a lot of remodeling clients that he wants to sell his products to. And he's got a lot of remodelers that I want to use my credit card processing. So we kind of put our heads together, sure. you know, once we had gotten to know each other and, and trust each other, we, we put our heads together and was like, okay, here's my client list. Who can I make introductions for you and, and vice versa. And we kind of attacked it that way. Uh, there's an organization that, that he's a part of um, called Annapolis design district. And it's specifically for remodelers, interior design people, architects, you know, in the Annapolis, Anne Arundel County area. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I was looking through the, so I'm going to their, their next event next month as his guest, cause he's a member. And I was looking through the member roster and it's like a gold mine of all the types of businesses that I'm looking for, you know? So it, we're, we're still focused on that. And, Again, I don't think it's ever going to change. Like if you are referred to somebody by someone that that person trusts, right. you're always going to have of much course. more of a of a leg up. And then again, for us, you know, I mentioned before that we do the the payment processing for the Better Business Bureau of Greater Maryland, but we also won their Torch Award for Ethics. I saw uh, that. Yes, congratulations. And yeah, we're cool. the first payment processing company to do that. And I'm so sure. <laughs> all of our ideal clients are accredited through the Better Business Bureau because they sure. understand what that means to a homeowner. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and so for me, it's like, hey, you know, you went through all this trouble to get accredited through the Better Business Bureau. Guess who they use? You know, that, right. that, that's like a mic drop moment that, you know, right. if right. I'm having trouble getting beyond that, that initial trust phase, it's like this. These are the strategic moves that we've done to put us in the best position to uh, succeed when we get to that level. And it's just a matter of being viewed as the expert in this space. And it's it's just knocking down barriers that were traditionally right keeping me from from you know approaching these types types of businesses. Right. You know what's what's so funny? This this episode is really making me think of all these other things, you know, it's, it's so funny because as you talk to people in business and the longer you're in business drone, you start to realize, and, and I can't remember who it was. I was, I was watching a video or something recently and a successful business person said, um, if you have an idea and you don't have $10 million in capital and you're worried about people stealing your idea, it's a bad idea. Right. In, in other words, you know, you can come on this podcast and you can literally share your blueprint for success with everybody on our show, the thousands of people that listen every week, because how are they going to compete with you? They're going to, what, move to Maryland, right? <laughs> you know, establish yeah. a brand. They're going to network <laughs> you, with all these you can, people. You can try and compete with me all you want. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? Like, like, there's, you know, it's not ideas. Like, so many young, you know, young guys and gals that get into the industry I talk to and they're like, oh, I've got this idea that's going to revolutionize. Oh, and I'm yeah. like, no, you 
you don't. I know, right? No, you don't. Too. If yeah. it was that good of an idea, you're not that smart. Somebody else would have thought of it with more money and more resources than you, and they would have done something about it. So you don't have an amazing idea. What you have is you have your work and your focus, and you have things that you've done, and you have experiences that have gotten you to a certain point that you can now leverage to make money. And think about what's an idea that you can implement in 2020 that you could share with everybody, and it wouldn't even matter because nobody else except you can implement it. That's right. That's a winning idea. That's a winning idea. So, okay. Absolutely. And and again, it's one of those things that if more reps and payment processing companies took the value approach of Mm -hmm. figuring out what they're good at right. and who to market that to, I think it would improve the industry Absolutely. overall oh, yes. and, and kind of put a halt on that race to the bottom where it's like, I can save you three cents over here. I can save you this. Right. I can save you that. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it goes beyond that. You know, if 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 you really recognize what your what your value proposition is, sure. and, and the value proposition really is more than anything service. You yeah, know? I mean, it's, right. It's well, like, well, and again, it's that's the value proposition for what Magathy Payments has chosen to do in twenty twenty, right. right? Right. There's a lot of companies yep. where they could make a whole thing out of you know interchange optimization. Mm-hmm. They're going after level two, you know, so whatever. There's all kinds of things, but it's it's making that choice and that focus but based if, on you know. Yeah, but even if you do go against, you know, like you said, you know, focus on you know uh, interchange op- optimization, right? You know. You're still, it's still your service. Your service sure. <laughs> you service know? is going to be a part yeah. of the mix, right? It's no matter be, what. It's so. going to be always going to be a determining right. factor, I think. So before we run and out I, of time. I think ahead. that it's, and just to add to that, there, there's, there is sorely a need in our industry for business owners and their employees, their controllers, their tax people to have an educated conversation with a professional from our industry so that they fully understand how things work. Yeah. And our industry has been great at taking a somewhat complicated idea and making it way more mystified than it, than it really needs to be. Right. Uh, and so for me, it's like we we do, because you know, we're, we're interchange plus, like I show them on our statement, here's our markup here's how much money we're generating off of you. Right. You know what I mean? And so it, it's, it's, it puts things in perspective as it relates to, you know, I'm always thinking about they can look at their statement and see how much money I generate off of them. Is the service level that I'm providing up to par with what they're going to see that we're making off of them? Right. And that just keeps us in that, you know, we have to do better. We have to do better. We need to make sure that, that we're servicing the accounts properly. And I think that that's a win-win for everybody because they're, they're getting the, the best service that we have to offer and we're continuing to retain the accounts. Yeah. And I, and I think too, it's, that goes to really, you know, if you look at the payments industry as a whole right now, the two pricing strategies that seem to be working are the extremely simple, you know, your flat rate, uh, right. your cash discount, you know, your very, very simple stuff, which is working for a lot of the smaller companies. Um, and then on the other side, it's this concept of you're paying us a membership fee or markup or whatever, but it's here's what you're paying us. We're very transparent. You're paying us to make sure that we take care of everything on the payment side and that kind of clarity and transparency. And I've seen that model, whether it's subscription rate pricing working really well with e-commerce. Um, you know, I've seen this kind of trend of you either need to make it you know, overall super simple flat rate or cash right. discount type programs, or you need to, for larger, you need to say, let's be really transparent. Here's what you're paying us and here's what we're going to do in exchange for that. So, um, I mean, I love it. This is really good stuff. I wish we had another hour to dig in. I know, I know, but we actually... Dig in. <laughs> yeah. so, I, mean, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to like a weekly or monthly segment. If you, right, you that's know, what we need to do. we got to get it going. So, um, <laughs> good stuff, man. So, um, so, okay, last thing is, I know you do a lot of networking within our industry as well, and there's a lot of people listening right now who would love to connect with you and just kind of follow your content and learn more from you. Um, where would you send them? Oh uh, yeah, you can you can connect me with me on LinkedIn, uh, Jaron Rice, J A R O N, last name Rice R I C E. Uh, you can email me at jrice at magothy m a g o t h y dot biz b i z. 
Awesome. Jerome, always a pleasure. Thank you again for taking time out of your schedule to talk to us. Appreciate and, it. And uh, good luck in 2020. Yeah. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For the past 36 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at greensheet.com. Okay, so uh, MasterCard has announced rule changes aimed at combating unnecessary chargebacks. Okay. Uh, the changes require businesses offering free trials to obtain cardholder approval before they can bill those customers for services following the free trial period. Right. Um, you know, this is a big deal, particularly for e-commerce merchants who often lure customers with free trials. I mean, right. I'm sure you have. I've done plenty of these. And, sure. And I've, I've sold them. <laughs> I bet you have. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, all the customer has to do is enter their card information for automatic billing to ensure at the end of the free trial. Right. You know, they can keep going and um, unless they cancel beforehand. And that, of course, has led to a lot of consumers, um, you know, they fail, they forget to cancel the free trial, right. and then they eventually, that could lead to a chargeback. Right. I had that happen to me not long ago, and it was a pain. I really didn't want it to be a chargeback, but I couldn't get them- To refund it. To refund it. Sure. You know? And I think, of course, I'm unlike other people. Most people just say, oh, the heck with it, you know? And right. I understand right. a chargeback's a real pain in the butt, and, right. you know, for everybody involved. So. Yep. You know, and chargebacks are a big problem for merchants and the card brands. Uh, merchants rack up, you know, a lot of chargebacks. Who rack up a lot of chargebacks? Obviously, can lose their right their acceptance uh, accounts. Yep. You know, Javelin Research and Strategy estimates that chargebacks in 2017 topped 31 billion dollars, or about one percent of total U.S. retail sales. Wow, that's a lot. It is a lot. You know, a recent report by Chargebacks 911 revealed that, you know, criminal fraud, which everybody, I mean, intuitively, I would think that criminal fraud would be the biggest problem with chargebacks. But right. indeed, it's less of a problem, according to Chargebacks 911, than are, is so-called friendly fraud. Right. Now, a common type of friendly fraud involves chargebacks related to free trials, which, of course, are also known as negative option billing. Okay. Okay. Uh, MasterCard has found the trend, found the trend uh, troubling enough that in 2018 it created a new merchant category code specifically to companies offering free trials and began, began classifying these businesses as high-risk merchants. Now the card company has come out with additional rules that require explicit consumer approval before billing can start at the end of a free trial. Yeah, so I guess the idea here would be they start a free trial, then they have to get an email. Yeah, that, yeah. Oh, okay, you're probably going to get Yeah, I, actually, I was going to go gonna into I'm going to steal your thunder. Oh, no, that's okay. You know, <laughs> I mean, but basically, yeah, you have to email or text the card holder at the, at the conclusion of the free trial. Okay. Uh, detailing the transaction amount, the payment date, the merchant, date, uh, the merchant name, and explicit instructions on how to cancel the trial if that's what they want to do. But that defeats the whole purpose of trying to trick them into paying you money. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it's a big deal, uh, right? Yeah. You know, and then it gets a little more, even more complicated because then for each payment thereafter, the merchant has to send the cardholder a receipt by email or by text. Sure. With clear instructions on how to cancel the service if they so desire. And then also, all charges that appear on the cardholder statement now have to include the merchant's website or URL, mm -hmm. or website URL, rather, or the phone number of the store where the consumer signed up for the free trial. Sure. Um, hmm. and here's what, uh, uh, what uh, MasterCard said in its blog post announcing this. Quote, free trial offers can be a legitimate and useful way to increase sales and improve consumer satisfaction. These new rules will help increase transparency and ensure an outstanding experience for cardholders. That's so corporate, wow. right? Yeah. <laughs> but I do think this is a bit of a game changer uh, as far yeah. as free trials go. What, you well, well, it is because, I mean, it's like if you do this, then obviously 
you have to do this across the board for everybody. Right. It, like from a software perspective, you can't like make this to where it's like, let's only do this when somebody uses their MasterCard. I mean, that's just not practical. You can't do that. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's very interesting. And, I, and I've had kind of a love-hate relationship with free trials myself. Myself, too. So, uh, you know, for our company, and it's it's funny, actually, I'm trying to think of when this is going to air. I guess this is going to air after the first of the year, so I'm okay to say this. But, um, you know, we actually end up doing away with ours entirely. So, oh, okay. We, like, now our, uh, our individual instant quote tool is free. Like, not free trial, it's just free. Oh, interesting. <laughs> uh, that's, that's very cool. That's that's yeah, news right there, James. It is. And we did away with, our, like, our we had our Pro Club uh, subscription, and we did away with that. You know, we still have some people that are on it, and so we've grandfathered them in. But mm-hmm. um, but now our training, we're just selling it a la carte. Okay. And so I, it's funny, and, and, you know, it's interesting we're talking about this because, like, one of the big reasons I did that is because we got a lot of chargebacks. Right. And right. I and I like the last thing I want is agents, you know, I don't want to damage my reputation over $29 right? or $59. It's not worth it, you know what of I mean? Of course not. And so I think it's interesting and I think you really, you know, I think there's a lot of good companies out there that do these trials and I think mm-hmm. that you know, you really do have to go above and beyond to notify and all that. Whereas to me, I'm always like, well, if you sign up for a free trial, Make a note in your calendar if you want to cancel the stupid thing really, and cancel it. Right, which is basically what I do. Right. Right. But I guess, but I understand. I mean, I know a lot of people, they just sign up for it, don't think about it, and then, you know, down the road, and then you get charged back. And so I think the other interesting thing will be to see, um, because a lot of companies are going to continue to do it the wrong way. Of course. So I think it'll be interesting to see, like, I know that one thing MasterCard is doing with this that that I've seen is, um, you know, if you get a chargeback on a payment after a free trial, you are going to lose that chargeback as a business. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. that's it, right? Yeah, right? So I think that's the first step. Um, what's going to be interesting to me is, are they going to go further? Are they going to then send you a letter that says, hey, you lost this chargeback because of your free trial. Mm-hmm. They weren't notified. Stop this or you're not going to be able to accept right. a, a MasterCard or whatever. You know, I don't know how far they're going to go with well, that. Well, and, and it, it would strike me that if they, they're really serious about this, yeah. then that would be something they, they, they would, would have to do. Eventually. Yeah. I think they'll probably try it the other way first for a while and just kind of like, ah, oh, let's see how it goes. And right. And, you know, but I think it's interesting. I think it'll definitely deter. And I think it just kind of makes people more aware. I mean, when I saw it, you know, it made me more aware for my own company of like, Mm -hmm. wow, you know, there probably are a lot of people that get a free trial, forget about it. And we charge them and they're ticked about it. Right. And then they file a charge back, you know, like, okay, that makes sense. You know, so I think it's an interesting wake up call for businesses that have those free trials. And and some like me will just be like, fine, I just won't do it. Yeah. I mean, but (laughs) if you want it, pay for it. Right. And yours, (laughs) too, is more of a business to business thing. I think that this is really most problematic, my sense, is with the consumer. Well, I mean, really, really on our side, it really has been business to consumer in a way because of course we have our ISO side of things, but this is for our individual, individual agents, agents yeah. which I guess are kind of a consumerish type thing. Kind of like sort of like in, in that a, in, in, the, in the middle stage, yeah. right? But, but I, is, I think it's very I think it's a game changer for people that have have the free trials because the whole method of the free trial is kind of predicated on let's get their card information and then we're assuming that they want to move forward and so we're not going to right. add that friction of whatever you know what right. I mean so I don't and, know and, it's and, and, and I do think it's really been big in, in consumer stuff you know I have a couple friends that would come to me and like I can't believe this. I just signed up for a free trial, and they keep sending me this stuff. I'm like, well, did you read the fine print? Right, right. <laughs> you know? You know? I mean, that's yeah. all you got to do. Right, exactly. Yeah. But a lot of consumers don't do that. No. So, so. yeah, very interesting. We'll, we'll kind of keep an eye on it and see how it goes. And, of yeah. course, I would imagine Visa will have a similar announcement coming in the near future. Or or maybe imagine. not. Maybe they'll just let MasterCard, MasterCard be the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing that everybody's got to do it with Visa as well. Right, because if you can't do it yeah. just for MasterCard. Right, exactly. Yeah, right. good stuff, Patty. Thanks. Mm-hmm. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more.
So, Patty, I got my little mini series going here with killer phone scripts. Yes, indeed. And uh, today, today, this week, we're do, we're talking about how to get past a gatekeeper. Exactly right. right. I'm so, like, I'm excited about this one because this seems to be the toughest thing out there. It, it can be. Yes, it can be. So, last week, of course, to recap briefly, we talked about the first five or ten seconds, and you know, really making sure that you're careful about when you say the name of your company and what you do. Um, instead, maybe asking a question first and then going to it. Right. So we talked about the importance of that. In this week's episode, I'm going to talk to you about, you know, you do all of this stuff, you get past that, you start asking questions and they say, oh, I'm not the person that handles that. Mm-hmm. You need mm-hmm. to talk to Susan, you know, whatever it is. So I'm going to give you a couple really specific tips. Okay. Number one, the most important thing about getting around the gatekeeper is speed. Okay. Right. Speed. Right. Now, What most people tend to do is they tend to try to win an argument with the gatekeeper about why they should be allowed to talk to the decision maker. Right, right. Well, if you're not the decision maker, and you almost put the person on the defensive when you say that. Well, you you do. do, And the other thing you have to remember is there is literally no argument you could possibly make Mm -hmm. that would convince them to connect you with the decision maker because their whole job is to is to keep that from from happening, right? Right. So they're not going to do it. So if you keep them in a logical state, they are not going to connect you with the decision maker. It's just not going to happen. So instead, what you have to do is you have to use speed. Let me tell you what. I'm going to give you really specific lines here. I'm not going to get too much depth, but I'm just going to give you some really quick tips that will help so much. Number one, as soon as they indicate that they are not the decision maker and before they continue explaining that the decision maker is not available or why they need to block right. this call. As soon as you find out that they're the wrong person, you instantly say a line like this. Oh, sure. Who handles that? Okay. Who should I talk to? Like that. Right. So fast. It literally takes a half a second. Right. Who should I talk to? Okay. Who do I ask for? Oh, who handles that? Just quick. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about literally interrupting them in a lot of cases because mm-hmm. they're like, well, I think the person that you would need to handle would be somebody else because, and they're about to say, and you say, oh, sure, who handles that? Right, right. Cut them sure. off. Cut them off. Because otherwise they're going to say, and they're not in until next Thursday. Right. Really, they're in the back office right now. Of course, you know? yeah, yeah. So you start with that very quick, oh, who handles that? Oh, okay, who do I ask for? What's the name of the person that deals with that? Just very direct, very quick, very fast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they won't have time to think about it, and they'll go, well, it's Bill, you know, it's Susan, and they'll give you a name which is going to be immediately followed by, and they're not available. Right. Uh, Right? Right. So before they say that, you're now going to say, oh, sure, is he in? Is she in? Like literally that fast. So so let me give you an example of how this would sound. So you, you call him up, you talk to him, and they're like, well, I actually don't handle that. I Oh, I'm sorry. Well, who's the name of the person that handles that? Oh, who handles that? Right. Right. Just boom, real quick. And they're like, well, I think you'd probably want to talk to Susan. Oh, is oh she great. in? Can you give me? Yeah. Right? Like it's just boom. And it's, is she in? Is he in? That's it. Now, here's what happens. You've gone so fast. They don't have time to come up with a good excuse. Right. And they'll just say yes or no. Right. Right. Now, again, what is this yes going to be followed by? Well, it's going to be followed by why they are here, but they're not available to talk to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So guess what we're going to do? Well, before they can say that, right, right, what do we say? So here's what we're going to do. What I found that is so powerful, especially in phone sales, is that if you want somebody to do something they haven't agreed to do, what you want to do is you want to thank them for doing the thing that you want them to do that they haven't agreed to do yet. Right. <laughs> so the Perfect. way this the way this works sounds like this. So that you say, you know, oh, I'm not the one that handles that. Oh, who does? Well, that would be Susan. Is she in? Yeah, but... Well, you know, I tell you what, um, I'll just hang right here on the phone. I really appreciate that. If you go and grab her, and I'd be, I'd love to talk to her for just a minute. So I'll just wait right here. Thank you so much for doing that. I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what's really funny is, and I, this is what I actually do on the phone. And this is what I, I mentioned in the last episode that when I do this on speakerphone with sales teams, right, right. they're always like kind of blown away by like, wow, I can't believe that he does that because it sounds so weird. What I actually do is I actually say significantly less than that. What I'll usually do is this. They'll say, uh, I'm like, you know, like, yeah, I don't handle that. Oh, who does? Well, Susan does. Is she in? Uh, yeah, she's, uh, yeah, she's in the back. She's doing inventory. Oh, okay, thank you very much. I'll hold on. Mm-hmm. And I'll just wait, and I'll just be totally silent. And they'll be like, 
Well, I mean, I, she could be a little while. Oh, that's no problem at all. Thank you so much. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I just stop. Yeah. And what's funny is usually the decision maker kind of starts to get flustered because they don't know what to do. And then they'll be like, well, I don't know if um, I uh, uh, hold on a second. And then they go get them. Right. Because sure. I've got them at a point where they literally don't have any off ramp. They don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So they go and get the decision maker. If they come back again a third time and they'll say like, well, no, I mean, I'm saying like she's not available right now because she's in the middle of something. You know what? I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. I'm just going to hold. And so I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. And they just don't know what to do with that. Yeah. yeah. Because it's like you thanked them profusely. Right. They don't know what you're thanking them for exactly, but they right. know you've said thank you. And it's like they just don't know what to do with it. And so they just have to go in the back and get the, the person, you know, to, to deal with it. So then when I get them on the phone, now I just start right back at the beginning of the, of the presentation and I start over again, you know. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, so anyway, that is how you get around the gatekeeper. You use speed and you go really, really fast when they, as soon as you find out it's the wrong person, uh, you know, oh, who handles that? Okay, great. Who handles that? What's their name? You know, quick, quick, quick. Then they tell you the name. As soon as they tell you the name, you, they, you just say, oh, is she in? Is he in? And then once they say, yes, they are, then you just basically say, great, thank you so much. I'll just hold. Okay, so what do you do if they say, no, she's not in, or no, he's not in? Do you say, okay, I'll call back, and then you of answer course. that specific yeah. person, right? Yeah, so then the nice thing there is you already have their first name. That's what I was thinking, So you, yeah. get, to, you get to skip that line the next time, right. which is nice, because then you just call, and when you call the next time, you just say, uh, yeah, this is James. Is Susan there? Right, yeah. And then this is, I'm glad you brought this up. This is funny. So then what they'll do is a lot of times they'll say, um... Yeah, who is this again? Almost every salesperson I've ever heard, they always crumble right there and they really? say and they say, "Well, I'm James Shepard with XYZ Payment Processing." No. No. They say, "I'm sorry, and who is this?" James. Right. What's it? Yeah. And they go, course. "Uh, what what did you need to call about?" I was calling for Susan. Right, right. I refuse. Uh -huh. I will not crack. And what I found is I've never talked to a gatekeeper that that didn't crack before me. <laughs> I won't tell them why I'm calling. I just tell them my first name and the first name of the person I need to speak with. Right. That's right. all the information they need to know. And I get myself in the frame of mind of what if I'm a good friend of the owner? Uh-huh. Right? Sure. It's all about your mindset that you're in. If I'm in the mindset of a friend of the owner, no, I'm not going to tell your your $7 an hour employee what the purpose of my call is. Connect sure. me to Susan. Right, right. You know, that's how I act. Mm -hmm. And what happens is they don't they they can't risk offending a friend potentially, right. and they don't know if I'm a salesperson, right. so they just go and connect me to Susan. Very cool. So, there's some really good tactics for you. I promise you if you use those, I've been using them for 20 years. They're going to get you around the gatekeepers. And he's gotten around quite a few gatekeepers. So. Oh, indeed I have. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks. We'll, we'll catch up next week on the follow-up and what to do after you get that decision maker on the phone and get him past those first few lines. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.